1 Corinthians chapter 16, begin with verse 7. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me. For I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Father, we thank you for your word. We do ask that you would bless in the service this evening. God, we're thankful for the report we have heard from a foreign field. God, how we are thrilled to know what you are doing around the world. God, we pray that you would use the message this evening, perhaps to touch the hearts and lives of those who are here to move them to more faithful and sacrificial service. God, I do thank you for what you have done for me, for saving my soul. Lord, I do pray that you'd receive glory from the things that have been said here this evening and what will be spoken. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul pens in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Information concerning the collection. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Instructions are laid out here. Information is given not just concerning the collection, but concerning his itinerary. For the Apostle Paul was an itinerant preacher. He did travel and preach the gospel and plant churches. God used him, and we have often read those things which God inspired him to pen, and we have read about the places where he traveled preaching the word of God. Here we find that he was going to pass through Macedonia, that he was indeed going to come to the saints at Corinth, and that he would tarry at Ephesus. An itinerary, if you will, is laid out for us here in the scriptures. We know that he also speaks concerning his fellow laborers at this point. Verse 10 speaks of Timotheus. And verse 12 speaks of Apollos. Those were two great fellow laborers for the Apostle Paul. And it's good to have those with whom you can labor in service for the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have all of your lives someone who will be a close friend in the ministry, someone who is profitable for good as far as the service of the Lord is concerned. And let me especially say to you young folks, choose your friends wisely. Be with those who will help you to serve the Lord and encourage you to be faithful unto Him. We'd find then that the Apostle Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, will give a charge in this closing chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to the saints in the church at Corinth. Verse 13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. 
as we examine this command, as we look at the things, the four separate phrases that are mentioned here, we'd find that three of them have similar passages and similar instructions in other parts of the New Testament. The Bible says, watch ye. And we understand that we are told in 1 Peter chapter 5 to watch. There in that portion of Scripture, the adversary is mentioned to us. 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now the Apostle Paul faced adversaries, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 tells us, while he was at Ephesus. You know, by reading Acts chapter 19, that is the place where there were evil spirits with which the Apostle Paul had to contend. Also, we know that there were people in Ephesus who manufactured images to the great goddess Diana, and people were worshiping those images. When the Apostle Paul preached the gospel, those who worshipped images got saved. So many, in fact, that it caused an uproar because those who depended upon the purchase of images for their income were losing business. Now, there were adversaries among the people there. There were adversaries from evil spirits. But the reason why in the scriptures we are told to watch, to be sober, to be vigilant, is because we have a great adversary. And that is Satan. And he desires to ruin our testimony. He desires to beset us. He desires to sift us like wheat. He does not want us to be profitable in the service of the Lord. And so not only in 1 Corinthians 16, but in other places in the New Testament, we are urged to watch. And then we'd find the injunction, stand fast in the faith. Again, in the scriptures, we are told much about contending for the faith, being steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 tells us that. But in the book of Jude, that tiny book that's next to the last in your Bible, in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now that's what we try to do with Baptist history is to contend for the faith. There are those today who would like to lay aside the faith. There are those today who are apostatizing. There are those today who do not care for the clear preaching and teaching of God's Word and the principles that are found therein. We must earnestly contend for the faith. It's not just something that this preacher must do. It's not just something that Pastor Alter must do. But it's something that each and every member of the Grace Baptist Church in Sydney, Ohio must do. We must all contend for the faith. We've got to stand fast in the faith. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, the last phrase there says, Be strong. Now we all ought to have strength, spiritual strength to stand for the Lord. And you know the scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about the armor of the Lord. There in that chapter, verse 10, 
The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, if we're going to stand against the adversary, we cannot do it in our own strength. We've got to have the power of God, and we must stand in His strength alone. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We'd find again in other portions of the scripture, we are told not only to watch, not only to stand, but to be strong. But there's only one time in all of the New Testament we are told to quit you like men. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, we have that admonition. Quit you like men. Now, in the Old Testament, this phrase is used twice. It is in the same passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9. On that occasion, it is the lords of the Philistines that are exhorting their men of war to go forth and fight with the children of Israel. And they overcome the children of Israel on that occasion. They are exhorted to quit themselves like men. To go out to battle and if necessary die on the battlefield for what they are fighting. Quit themselves like men is what they were told. And we are told. Now this is not just for the Corinthians. This is for the children of God. We are to quit ourselves like men. Now when we examine this word quit, the modern usage of the word is that we stop what we're doing. That we give up. Perhaps that we would admit defeat. Failure is what comes to mind when we talk of someone quitting. But that's not the way the word is used in the word of God. In the word of God, this word quit means to carry through, to do or perform something to the end so that nothing remains to be done. If you're going to quit, that means that what God has placed before you to do, what you have been called to do, you must do it until the Lord says you are finished or until he calls you home. That's the way we are as Christians. How long should you attend church as a Christian? Until the Lord calls you home. How long should you be faithful in your service to the Lord? Whether that involves you using your talents or your abilities or giving of your possessions or doing whatever it is as far as preaching the gospel that has been put before us, how long should we do those things until our last breath is breathed? We must quit ourselves like men. We'd find an example of that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The apostle whom God is using to pen these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, there in 2 Timothy 4 is going to give his own testimony about the way he has prosecuted the work God called him to do 
And this testimony comes just before his death. Verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I'd say, church, tonight, if we are to quit like men, if we are to finish what God has laid before us, then this ought also to be our dying testimony. We ought to be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, that we have fought a good fight, that we have finished our course, that we have kept the faith. There may be times in your Christian life when you are tempted to quit on God or to stop serving God, rather. There may be times when you no longer want to do what God has called you to do. There may be times that you are weary. There may be times when you are tempted to give in because of what someone else has said or what they have done. You may be offended in the work. You know that offenses will come. The scripture says that they will. But I encourage you, remain faithful as long as you live. Give a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know he blesses faithfulness. The Bible says, quit you like men. Now that's a comparison. Quit you like men. It's interesting. You all are going to have man camp. You are interested in some of the young boys learning how to be men. And that's a real need in our world today. We've got a lot of people in this country who are male, but not all of them are men. You understand what I'm saying. And the Bible here says, quit you like men. When we think of a man and a task is put before him, we think of that man with determination and with forethought, using all of his strength and all of the resources at his disposal, being able to complete that task, whatever it be. And not to give up on it, not to walk away, but to perform so that all of that responsibility is done and it is done well. And so we ought to quit ourselves like men. So we're going to give you some men from Baptist history tonight as examples of those who were faithful in the service of the Lord. When we think of what the Bible says here, quit you like men, we are talking about the moment versus a lifetime. There are some who get involved in the service of the Lord. There are some who are involved in everyday tasks. Who it seems are there just for the moment. But what we desire is for people to serve the Lord for the rest of their lives. And to do so faithfully. Wouldn't you want the children who are in here tonight to grow up knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and serving Him and entering into heaven having a testimony that always brought glory to the Savior? That's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't happen automatically. 
We've got to work towards that end. We've got to teach and train our children and those among us. And we have got to point them in the right direction and let them know what God expects out of them. And that we expect those same things and we must not settle for less than our children serving the Lord Jesus Christ with their all. There are those today who seek after fame. And fame is fleeting. There are those whom the world knows today that will be forgotten a year from now. There are those movie stars, sports stars, people of note, politicians that we know in this day, ten years from now, their names will never be mentioned. Fame is fleeting. It's for the moment. But faithfulness is much to be desired. When we preach about the martyrs, those were people who were faithful unto death. They were willing to give their very lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. A Felix Mance and a Balthasar Hubmeyer and a Conrad Grable. Those people were all faithful unto death. But there are many others who throughout their lives were faithful also. Isaac McCoy has been mentioned already this evening. That man was faithful to prosecute the labors that God set before him. And he did it all of his life. Great hardship, great toil, great suffering, great sorrow. And yet he was faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. What will it take to get you to stop serving God? Will you remain faithful? Will you follow The examples of men who have gone before us, who showed us what it was like to be faithful in the face of adversity. What about a Lewis Rector, the old Baptist preacher from South Carolina, who traveled from the Blue Ridge Mountains to the Low Country, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never knew many converts to his ministry, but he was faithful to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing that God would bring forth fruit, and God would later on. But what if God would have you to go to the foreign field, to go to some island where you could not speak the language, where you didn't know the customs, where you had never been before, and serve Him? And what if you labored in that place and never had any converts? What if you never saw any fruit from your ministry? What if you are a faithful witness on your job and you never see someone come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you stop witnessing? Will you say, God, it must have been a mistake for you to lead me here? No. We continue to do what God would have us to do. We continue to live for Him and to serve Him and to preach the gospel because results are not for us to produce. That's up to God. We must determine that we will be faithful. And across history, there have been faithful men and women used of God to do His work. It is required. That's not an option. But the Bible tells us it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what God expects. He expects faithfulness. 
And we must have our desires then bent towards that which God expects. Do we desire to be known by the world? Do we desire to have fame? Should we not rather desire to be known of God and used of God and to please God? Absolutely. We'd think then about the world and how it seeks after wealth. That's another thing that's for the moment. People will spend their last dollar. They will spend rent for or money for rent and groceries to buy a lottery ticket. Hoping to hit it big. To gain instant wealth. That's fleeting. Most of those people who gain that wealth, and there are very few of them, by the way, who ever hit it big. But most of them who do, it is proven after a few years, all of what they have won is gone. But shouldn't we give ourselves rather to the work of the Lord? Shouldn't we determine that regardless of how we are compensated on this earth, regardless of whether we ever receive from men for the services rendered unto God, that we will serve Him and be faithful? We talk a lot about church planning. There's an old Baptist preacher in Tennessee by the name of Marmaduke Kimbrough. If any of you ladies are expecting... You're with child and you're looking for a good name. There's one, Marmaduke. He pastored four churches simultaneously. The least of which was for 35 years. And the longest of which was 50. That's faithfulness. That's given himself to the labor, to the work. And then the Baptist preacher in Kentucky Thomas Dudley, he also pastored four churches, the least of which was 41 years and the longest of which was 65 years. For 41 years, this man pastored four different churches. He gave himself to the work. And then there is John Landrum, the Baptist preacher in South Carolina. We went to his gravesite there in Spartanburg on this past Baptist history tour. John Landrum at one time pastored eight Baptist churches simultaneously. And history tells us that he never received more than $600 in any year of his long ministry. He gave himself to the work. Why did he have to pastor eight churches at the same time? Because... There was a revival that was taking place. People were getting saved. And there was a need for new churches to be established. Lewis Rector, who preached all over South Carolina, but never saw much fruit from his ministry. When he was dying, he said that he believed it, even though he had never been able to experience it, that he would not see it before he was called home to be with the Lord, that there would be a revival coming. And it happened. God called him home. But John Landrum, as the people began to get saved, gave testimony that over and over and over again, people who got saved would relate their experience and say that the first time they were awakened to their need for the Savior was when they heard the old Baptist preacher, Lewis Rector, preach the gospel. 
and they believed on the Lord. He never saw it. He never experienced it. But another generation experienced revival and conversion so much that many churches had to be started so that there were very few laborers who could go and pastor those churches to hold the converts. Folks, would we be willing to labor all of our lives without seeing converts? And then if there is a spirit of revival, or if we know that there is a need for new churches, would we not say, God, I am willing to step in. I am going to do the work if you call me. And I'll serve in those places. God, I'm willing to do it. Now make no mistake about it. God always provides. But the spirit we ought to possess is, God, I'm willing to do it and spend my last cent to see it done. That ought to be our desire. And that ought to be the spirit of sacrifice about us. What about power? The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 29, that the glory of young men is their strength. And young men do talk a lot about their power and their personal physical ability. But those of you who are a little older in here, you understand that things are not like they used to be. You don't have the strength that you used to have when you were young. You understand that that fades, but that does not mean we are any less profitable unto the Lord. So wouldn't persistence be a better quality? We might not have as much strength as we used to have, but we can still be strong in the Lord. Talking about something that's spiritual. And we think then of those who were persistent. A John Bunyan spent 12 years there in Bedford Jail in England for conscience sake. There was a principle on the line. He would not have had to have been in prison had he been willing to accept the license from the established church to preach. But for the faith's sake, he contended for the truth. He stood for principle, for what was right. He refused to take a license from the established church and he was thrown into jail, spending 12 years in that place, glorifying God through it all and being used while he was in prison, you know, to pen the pilgrim's progress. God used his persistence to touch many lives. For that book is the most published book in the history of the world next to your King James Bible. John Clark, the man who started the first Baptist church in America, he went to England in 1651 and stayed there for 12 years to secure a new charter for Rhode Island. Why? Because Massachusetts and Connecticut were infringing upon their borders and were trying to absorb tiny Rhode Island into themselves. Had they been able to do so, not only would Rhode Island be no more, but there would be no place... For religious liberty. And so Clark is there not just to secure the very life of Rhode Island. But to secure religious liberty for the Baptist. Persistence paid off. He continued to stay there. And to petition Parliament. And petition the King. For that charter that would guarantee. That the Baptist in Rhode Island could continue to worship. Without fear of persecution. And God caused the King to grant that charter in 1663. I wonder if we would be willing to give even a year to a noble cause in the name of the Lord. Much less 12 years. But what we should be willing to do is to give the remainder of our lives 
for the right cause, which is found in God's word. I don't know what God will require of us, but I know that whatever he requires, he desires for us to be faithful. We think then of courage. Courage is one of those qualities that is good in the moment as well as the lifetime. As far as the moment is concerned, the Baptist preacher Joshua Vaughn ought to be considered. He pastored the Brandywine Baptist Church in Brandywine, Pennsylvania. He used to be the sheriff of the county there. He was a large man. And he had appointed a day where they would baptize converts in the Brandywine River. Some of the ruffians in town heard that there was going to be a baptism, that the Baptist would be holding a service there, and they sent word that they would not allow that baptism to take place, that they intended to stop the service and to do harm if necessary. And so on the day of the service, Joshua Vaughn is assembled with his people he is going to preach the word before the baptism takes place. And he notices, true to their word, that the ruffians gather on the hillside. And he knows their intent. So when it comes time to baptize the converts, the Baptist preacher throws off his coat. He rolls up his sleeves and he looks at those men in the crowd. He says, I understand that you mean to stop the work of the Lord here today. So let any one of you come down here one at a time and try to stop the work. And if you do, I will grind you against the bottom of the stones in this river under the heel of my foot. And they begin to look at one another and point to one another and say, you go first, you go first. Until the ruffians dissipated. And the baptism went on as scheduled. You know what that is? That's courage. That's something that you learn at man camp. That's it. That's what God expects of us. Standing for what is right. But John Gano. The old Baptist preacher there in New York who was a chaplain in the revolution who baptized George Washington during that conflict as well. He said at the battle of Chatterton's Hill, knowing that his place was with the sick and wounded during the conflict, when seeing those soldiers flee from the front, running from the face of the enemy, that knowing he should be there, that he was moved to grab a rifle and press towards the front. And when he did so, it inspired those who were fleeing with courage. And they followed him back to that place where they stood against the enemy. And all the while, the commander-in-chief was looking on at the bravery of the chaplain. The Baptist preacher is not afraid of the enemy. Don't you know that that is one of those things that made him a good friend with John Gano, Washington and Gano together? But I'd say to you this evening, don't you know that your commander-in-chief is looking on? That he expects courage out of you? It takes courage to quit ourselves like men, to stand in the face of danger, to stand against the adversary, and to say that we will be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will do what He wants us to do, regardless of what comes our way. But courage over the lifetime, not just for the moment, could be found in John Gano, but after he had pastored for many years in New York City as an aged man, he heard that there was a need 
on the frontier in Kentucky for new churches to be planted for the preaching of the gospel in the wilderness. And he left New York City in the place of comfort. And he went to the wilderness there in Kentucky and planted churches and died in that place. It takes as much courage to serve God when you're old as it does when you're young. And know this, it's not just the young that God calls to do something for him. Sometimes after we're in our place of ease and we're older and think this is where we will die, God stirs our souls and says, I want you to go. I want to use you. That takes courage. We'd find as well that there are those who want to be great in this world. They want the things that the world has to offer. They do want the fame. They do want the riches. They do want the power, regardless of the source from which it comes. But then there are those who are good. Now, it's much preferred to be good than to be great. We sometimes don't have to make a choice. But we always ought to desire to be good. Now, great men may not always be good, but I'd say to you that good men in God's sight are always great. Now, you might not be able to attain the wealth of some or the fame of some. You may not ever be able to display the courage of some, but you can always be good. Those qualities of God that are exhibited through us that cause us to be good is what we ought to desire. There may be those who are stronger physically than you, but there's never any excuse for anyone praying any more than we do. We can't be out prayed. There's no way. Everyone has an equal opportunity to do that As anyone else, we can do things that would cause us to be known as good people. And we'd find that there are many throughout history who have done just that. Duncan Dunbar, the great Baptist preacher there in Brooklyn, he was known as a good man, always ministering to the needs of those around him so that he could preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ unto them. And then in England... A man by the name of Barebone. That was his last name. I don't know what his parents were thinking, but they didn't give him a first name. He was just known by his last name, Barebone, until he being elected to Parliament there under Cromwell, sitting in that seat of distinction, handled himself so well and manifest as a Christian, as a Baptist, And he was certainly in the minority at that time in England. But he lived so well that those in Parliament, his peers, gave him a first name. It was Praise God. And that's the way he was known for the rest of his life. Praise God barebone because he was always talking about God. He was a good man. And folks, the people around you, They know whether you're good or not. They might know about your ability. They might know about your intelligence. They might know about your wealth. 
But when they think of you, do they think, there's a good person. That's a good man. That's a good lady. We ought to be known as God's people, as good people. And then there are those who are satisfied versus those who sacrifice. Satisfaction is of the moment. You remember the story there in Luke chapter 12 about the man who pulled down his barns and he built greater barns. And he said to himself, so take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Satisfaction in this world is just for the moment. Even if it lasted for 50 years, that's just for a moment in comparison with eternity. And so shouldn't we rather seek after sacrifice? Not to see how easy we can have it but to see what we can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving of ourselves, giving of our abilities, giving of our finances, our substance to the work of the Lord. There have been many who were known not for satisfaction, but for sacrifice. And you know what? Those are the stories that endure. The stories of great sacrifice, of great giving. Luther Rice and Adoniram Judson, congregationalist missionaries going to India. They're aboard different ships as they sail to that location, not knowing what the other is doing or what they are thinking. Both of them ponder meeting the Baptist missionary William Carey in England. And they think, I must be able to give a defense of what I believe Concerning baptism. And so they began to examine the scriptures. Both of them realized from looking in the word of God that there's nothing about infant sprinkling. And that they must submit themselves to believers baptism and become Baptist. And both of them did whenever they reached India. God was working. Judson remained in that place and later would go into Burma. Luther Rice was returned to the United States and give information to the congregational board about their decision, knowing that it would cost them all of their support. The life of Adoniram Judson is a great story. He labored in that place and he knew great sacrifice. He gave his all for the Lord Jesus Christ. He buried wives and children there in that place of sacrifice. But he was in God's will. And folks, being in God's will does not mean health and wealth all the time. Sometimes it means sacrifice. A sacrifice of wealth and sometimes a sacrifice of health and sometimes a sacrifice of loved ones. And Luther Rice returned to this country. Indeed, the Congregationalists withdrew their support. So Luther Rice began to travel around the country and tell the Baptist we need to support the work of missions. Not only did he raise the support that Judson needed to stay on the field in Burma, but he raised the support for hundreds that would follow after Judson. And he supported. It was the instrument that God used to support Missions, not only in foreign countries, but in this country as well. But his was a life of sacrifice. 
other than his necessities. He acquired no property. He had no family. And he died only having his Bible, the clothes on his back, and his horse and buggy. And those were willed to the Lord's work. Sacrifice. Willing to give themselves. And they're all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Satisfaction on this earth. God does not reward. Sacrifice in his name and for his cause. He will reward in eternity. And look at eternity. Whenever you're examining what is good and what is right. You see the difference is that some are men of the world. They want to be rulers overall. While some, and the number is decreasing all the time it seems, want to be people of God. And those people give all. There's a difference. Many examples of those who would give for the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who would stand for what's right. And we've just given a few this evening. For if we are to quit you like men, then there's a comparison. What men will be our examples? Those who have served the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have served Him faithfully. Those who quit like men. The Apostle Paul is a good example of one who quit like a man. The apostles quit like men. The martyrs quit like men. Those names that we have mentioned this evening, they quit like men. And we ought to quit ourselves like men. There are things that we should do for the Lord. Some of you are doing them and you are doing them faithfully. Others, perhaps, among us, there may be things that God has put before us that we are not doing as we ought. Maybe we are not giving as we should. Maybe we are not praying as we should. Maybe we are not doing what God wants us to do. Perhaps there are even some here who are resisting a call of God upon their lives. Or maybe some who are considering what it is that God is calling them to do. If so, I'd urge you tonight to quit yourselves like men. This generation needs faithful laborers for the Lord Jesus Christ more than any generation that has gone before us. We're not just talking about the work. Certainly you understand we are talking about our doctrine as well. We have talked much about it already today. Do not be like some who have left the faith. Like an Elhanan Winchester who was preaching when John Leland, that great Baptist preacher, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But later when Winchester is pastoring the First Baptist Church of Philadelphia, he embraces Unitarian beliefs. And the church has to remove him as their pastor. You see, he didn't quit himself like a man. He was faithful in religious labor for the rest of his life. But it was not profitable because it was not based upon sound scriptural doctrine. 
So make sure that you resolve not only to serve God to your last breath, but you serve him while embracing sound doctrine. Don't let it be said that you leave a King James Bible-believing Baptist church that has right doctrine and go any other place and accept anything less. God would not approve, and it wouldn't be scriptural. I encourage you, church, to quit yourselves like men. Let's stand as we pray.